Okay. Recording in progress. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. It is great to have you guys here. Um, we are in middle of the Torah portion of Shmos, which is the opening portion of the book of uh, Book of Exodus. That's where we are right now. And we're in the middle of the dialogue. We left off in the middle of the dialogue between God and Moses. Where God tells Moses that, hey, I want you to be the one to be the representative. I want you to be my rep to take the Jews out of Egypt. And Moses, we encountered three oppositions, I believe, so far. Moses says, who am I? God says, I'll be with you. Moses says, they're going to ask me your name, which means they're going to wonder, where have you been? God says, tell them I've been with him the whole time through their suffering. Moses says, they're not going to believe me. God says, don't say that about my people. But if they don't believe you, here's some signs and miracles. And then Moses pulls out the next card, which we are about to read together. Moses is still not ready to say yes to this gig. Reading number five, Exodus chapter four. Verse number 10. We started this yesterday, but we're going to go over it today. Moses said to the Lord, I beseech you, O Lord, I am not a man of words. Lo ish devarim anochi. I am not a man of words. By the way, you should know it's connected with what we explained, I want to say a few days ago, about Moses being from the water realm. Remember we spoke about Moses being from the hidden realm of the water? Yes. So the more... The more a person is connected with this kind of mystical realm and this you know, deeper space, the harder it is to articulate. Because articulation involves the, what we would call the, in this analogy the terrestrial realm, the realm of revelation. Because communication is literally about revelation. So somebody who's more you know, spiritual and deep and connected, right, might, not always, but might have a more more difficult time communicating that in clear language to the people. This is what Moses is saying. Lo ish devar manochi, I am not a man of words. I'm a water guy. I'm an amphibious creature. Well, not exactly, but I'm I'm from the water realm. I'm I'm Moshe. I'm drawn from water. I'm not a, a revelation guy. I'm not the communicator. Neither from yesterday, nor from the day before yesterday. I, I, I love how uh, Moses is like breaking it down. I'm not a speaker. Not yesterday, not the day before yesterday, nor from the time you've spoken to your servant. No, and, and not now either. For I am heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. Of course, there are many different interpretations of what this means. Some say he had a speech impediment. Some say, as I mentioned a moment ago, that it was a, more of a spiritual conversation or point that he was making. I'm not, you know, you, you, need, you need a PR guy. I'm not a PR guy. You need like, um, you need a marketing agency, someone to deliver the message and to get the word out there and to do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I have my talents. I'm, I'm more, you know, behind the scenes, you know. 
But the Lord said to him, so this is his fourth attempt at rebuffing the job. But the Lord said to him, who gave man a mouth or who makes one dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? In other words, you're saying you can't. What do you mean you can't? Who do you think gives a human being the ability? Is it not I, the Lord? So now go, he says. God says to Moses, go. I will be with your mouth. If you have any difficulty, like he said in the beginning of this conversation, I'll be with you and I'll be with your mouth. And I will instruct you what you shall speak. Just go and open your mouth and I'll make sure that what comes out is the right thing. I want to tell you, I heard a story last night. Very late last night. The story I heard from the son of the individual who was involved. Listen to this story. This man, the father of the, of the son that I was speaking to. I hope this is not too confusing. All right, let me start again. There's a guy who's a rabbi, a Chabad rabbi, who is not just a Chabad rabbi, but he's, uh, he's a regional director, which means he's not just the rabbi of a rabbi of a town or a community, but the rabbi of an entire state a regional director with other Chabads under him. When he was originally moving out to the state to be like the point man, so he was very apprehensive of taking this position. This is going back in the 1980s, I believe. He wrote to the Rebbe. He said, do I have the capabilities to do this job? Do I have the powers to do this? And the Rebbe, in his, this is the Rebbe's style, the Rebbe would never waste a piece of paper, would never waste a, 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 any amount of ink. The Rebbe underlined the word, I have, yes, I have, three times. The, man, the, the Rebbe asked, do I have the ability? And the Rebbe underlined the phrase, I have the ability. Are you with me on what I said? Yeah? So turn it from a question to the end. The Rebbe would always do that. It would circle a word. You know, if there was this or that, the Rebbe would just circle the word or put an arrow to something or underline something. Very brief because, you know, the Rebbe got more mail than the president. You know this, right? The Rebbe got a tremendous amount of mail and a tremendous amount of uh, correspondences that had to be answered. So the Rebbe underlined three times, I have basically, yes, you do have the ability. And it just, I, I heard the story late last night, and it just reminds, I just thought of that story as I'm reading this now, where Moshe says, I, who am I? I, I, I? Not who am I, but I'm not a speaker, I'm not a communicator, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not that guy. And Hashem says, who do you think gives that ability? Me, you got the ability, you need the ability, I'll give you the ability. This reminds us, I want to just jump in right now, this reminds us that sometimes we don't believe in ourselves. Sometimes we don't believe that we have the ability, but we have to trust that if Hashem puts us in a position where we'll need to call upon that ability, if it's assuming it's a worthwhile you know, endeavor, then we have to believe. We don't have to do anything, but then Torah tells us we ought to believe that Hashem will give us the ability and then we will succeed. I hope that makes sense. All right, back inside. That's why it, it seemed to me a lot of the conversation is that Moses was not saying bad things about the Israelites, but being insecure about his ability. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. I believe that when he said they're not going to believe me, it was more of a deflection about his own lack of confidence. He's like, ah, they're not going to believe me. At this point, he's just pulling out, <laughs> he's pulling out stuff to, uh, to make it stick. Anyway, ultimately, we know it doesn't work. He, he gets the gig, but this is, it's a fascinating process. 
Um, Moses doesn't stop. Number five, the fifth attempt to push back. But he said, but Moses said, I beseech you, O Lord, please, he says, send now your message with whom you, will, you, you, with whom you would send. This is very vague. Please send the one who you're going to send. Different commentaries have different understandings. Some say Moses was saying, don't send me, I have an older brother, send Aaron. Send the one who you should send, Aaron, my older brother. Some say he was saying on a deeper level, why send me to redeem the Jewish people from Egypt? And then they're going to get back into a state of exile. And then they're going to get redeemed. And then they're going to be in exile. Then they're back and forth and back and forth. And right now we're in exile. Send Mashiach. Send the ultimate redemption. Shlach Nabiatishlach could mean send the one that you're ultimately going to send. Send the Messiah. Send Mashiach now to end it. Don't send me. I'm a band-aid. Yes, I will take them out of Egypt. And it's going to be good for a few hundred years. But then it's not going to be good. So what's the point? Don't send a band-aid, right? Send the solution. All right, Hashem's not happy with this. The Lord's wrath was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know, and this kind of, this, the, the response kind of indicates that Moses was saying, send Aaron, to which God says, I know about Aaron, right? I know that he will surely speak. And behold, he is coming forth towards you. And when he sees you, he will rejoice in his heart. So Hashem was, God was basically saying, I know about your brother and he's going to be involved, but I still want you to be the point person. I want you to be the leader. If he's talking about Mashiach, why does he, if, if the claim was send Mashiach, then how is the answer about Aaron? Again, I don't, I don't remember exactly the details. We would have to look in the commentaries, but there, it's, it's, it's a very cryptic response that Moses said, send the one whom you're going to send. Nonetheless, this is the answer either way. You shall speak to him, says God, speak to Aaron, and you shall put wor the words into his mouth. Right. So tell him what to say, and I will be with your mouth and with, with his mouth, and I will instruct both of you what you shall do. Basically, God says to Moses, your brother will be with you, you'll be the point person, you'll tell him what the plan is, I'll be with both of you, and I'll help you all out. And he will speak for you to the people, and it will be that he will be your speaker and you will be his leader. Pretty clear. He's going to be the spokesperson. You're going to be the CEO or whatever. You're going to be the, you're going to be the leader. He'll be the speaker. One more thing, says God to Moses. Oh, by the way, and you shall take this staff into your hand, in your hand, with which you shall perform the signs. Don't forget your staff because that's going to be the trigger for a lot of these miracles. And as we'll see later, the plagues as well. Moses hits something or waves it, whatever, that's, how, that's what triggers the plagues on the ground. Certainly it comes from God, but that's the, um, that's the magic wand, if you will, for the miracles and the plagues. All right, this concludes... Yes, Donna, yeah. So God was not happy with Moses saying, why can't we just cut to the chase, right? With, with Cor according now, to that explanation, yeah. God was not, God was not, was not happy with it. But he didn't give an explanation, though, God. According to, the, yeah, there is an explanation, which, uh, again, I don't, it's, it's my, it's my um, the, the, the issue lies with my lack of remembering how the words of Hashem here 
answer Moshe's question about Mashiach. It is, it is answered. It is explained. I don't remember because, exactly. Because, I mean, that's what we're wondering. We always wonder, right? I mean, every generation has wondered when, right? When and, and new? Send it already, uh-huh. right? End this, uh-huh. right? Why, why, are yeah. we, why are we still here? Good. I guess the message is that there's, I mean, the simple answer is there's a process, and you can't cut to the end of the process, no matter how much you want the end. You gotta, you gotta go through the steps. How is that indicated in these words that I highlighted? Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I don't know who was surely speaking, and he's coming forth toward you? I don't know. Maybe it indicates somehow the process. I, I, again, I don't remember the, the fine details about the connection, but sir, we could assume that the answer is you wanna to cut to the chase? Unfortunately, you just can't sometimes. My kids, you know, they want brownies for Shabbos, right? Okay, so I told them, so make brownies. They, they want brownies. They don't want to make brownies. Are you with me? <laughs> it's like right, yeah. everyone wants brownies. I'm making brownies. It takes some time and, it, and it's not easy and whatever. Okay, full disclosure. We got the mix. We got the Duncan Hines mix. Not that hard either. But I'm just saying, even that, even just you know, cracking an egg and putting in some oil and some water and mixing it up, you know, rather just have the brownies than make the brownies. It's, right. it's a truth in life. Anyway, we should all have brownies, whatever that means, then it should all be good. All right, let's jump into the sixth reading. So now, okay, so at this point, the, the, at this point, conversation is done. And Moses has the job, whether he wants it or not. And literally, literally, he doesn't want the job. He's got the job. The dialogue is finished. The burning bush, you know, I don't know, the lights went out. The fire is gone, whatever it is. We're done. Change the scene. Moses went and returned to Yeter. This guy has a lot of names. Ruel, Jethro, Jether. Yeah, he's got, he's got a bunch of aliases. This guy walked around with a bunch of IDs. Anyway, Moses went and returned to Jether, his father-in-law, and he said to him, he said to his father-in-law, let me go now and return to my brothers who are in Egypt. Right? Clearly, he's identifying with the Jewish people. Let me go return to my brothers. And by the way, it doesn't seem like he's surprising his father-in-law by telling him he was from the Israelites. Like, by the way, I'm an Israelite. It doesn't seem like, it seems like that was known. He says, but I, w- I wish to go now to return to them and let me see whether they are still alive. You know, who knows if any Jews are left even. He says, let me check them out. So Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And I need to tell you something that I believe is powerful. And that is that from here we learn a beautiful lesson that if you want to make a major life shift, it's always good to get the blessing of the in-laws. He goes to his father on a very practical level, right? And it's not only the in-laws. It means whoever it's affecting, make sure you're having a conversation, right? You might be the, you might be the hero, but, you know, what, what are you leaving in your wake? What do you leave behind, etc.? Make sure that everyone's comfortable with this. So he goes to his father-in-law and he says, are you okay with me doing this? And he says, his father says, Lech l'shalom. Literally, Lech, go. L'shalom, go to peace. Well, not to peace. Go in peace. Lech l'shalom. Yes, go in peace. Now God, now once he gets permission from his father-in-law, now the dialogue, the conversation can continue with God. It's almost like he puts God on hold and he says, let me just check in with the family. All right, we're cool. Presumably he checked in with his wife as well. Oh, oh. We'll see soon about his wife. But he first checks in with his father-in-law. 
Then he go, gets back to God, verse 19. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the people who have sought your life have died. Okay, so God tells Moses, you've been a wanted man for 40 years. It was 40 years. You've been a wanted man for decades. But now they forgot about you. Your name on the, in the post office, they've replaced it with other, uh, with other wanted characters. Moses is not a trigger anymore to like, get everyone up in arms. It's okay, you can go back and you'll be cool. So Moses took his wife and his sons. So this also explains why he went to his father-in-law. Because he was about to take his wife and his kids. I think we, re- did we read about the second kid, Gershom and Eliezer? I believe so. For some reason, I, I thought yesterday we only mentioned one kid, or at some point, we have two, he has two kids, Gershom and Eliezer. It is what it is, he has two kids. So he took his wife and his two sons, mounted them upon the donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. As God t- had told him, take the staff, he took the staff. The Lord said to Moses, when you go to return to Egypt, see all the signs that I placed in your hand and perform them before Pharaoh. In other words, remember those signs about the staff turning into a snake and the hand turning into leprosy or whatever it is? You know, you can pull out these signs, perform them before Pharaoh. But he says you should know, and you'll do other signs as well, right? other miracles and plagues. But FYI, and this is the second time that God has mentioned this, I will strengthen his heart and he will not send out the people. The truth is, let me correct myself. This is the first time God says, I will strengthen his heart. But it's the second time that God says, this is not going to be an easy process. If you recall, either yesterday or the day before, that in our studies together, God had told Moses that you're going to go to Pharaoh. Tell him God says, let my people go for a three-day worship. He's going to say no. And it's going to take all my signs, all my wonders, basically all my plagues for him to finally be broken and say, okay, you can go. That was in the initial conversation. Now, as things are actually heating up in the process, God reminds Moses about the miracles and signs and also the fact that Pharaoh is not, it's not going to be easy. You're going to get no's. Like, know this going in. You're going to get a lot of no's. And part of that is because I'm going to strengthen his heart. Which always begs the question, well then, if God is, not, is making him not send out the people, then is that his fault or God's fault? And I don't think we're going to discuss that today. It's too big of a question. We'll discuss it next week, please God. But it is a question about free choice and determinism and all that stuff and punishment. But we'll get to it. But God tells Moses, expect no's before you get S's. And I will say this, this is good business advice as well. right? If you're running a business, if you're launching anything, Right? Expect lots of no's and dead ends before you strike success. Right? This is... Now, will it take plagues to, to break you know, the, the customers or whatever it is? Hopefully not. Hopefully it can be done in a nice way. But I think the point here is, don't expect to walk into the room, say, here's my message, and everyone's like, we're in. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be so easy. It's gonna, it's, there's going to be a process. Again, we're reiterating the idea of process versus, you know, the outcome. It's, it, it takes a process. Let's it kind of coincides that message. I mean, it's the aftermath, you know, having confidence in yourself. Yes, you can, you know, you have your own. Right. Um, but as we always say, you know, we can only do what we can do. And then, you know, we right. don't have power over the outside right. forces. So right. that kind of. 
is the aftermath. But I think, good, I think we have all three pieces. Number one, you got to be confident. Number two, know that you don't control the other. But number three, also have faith that ultimately it will work out at the end, whether with this one or another one, it's going to work out at the end. There's a line that I love. The end is always good. If it's not good, it's not the end. Right? That's a good one. It's a powerful line to live with, by the way. It's a powerful line to live with. The end is always good. The end, it's not the end. It's not the end. There's still more. There's still more storyline. There's still more storyline. Let's continue. And you shall say to Pharaoh, says God to Moses. In other words, here's the quote. So said the Lord, my firstborn son is Israel. Oof. This is going to be heavy. You ready for this? God says to Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, tell him, B'ni B'chari Yisrael, Israel, the Israelites, are my firstborn son. So I say to you, this is the continuation of the message to Pharaoh, send out my son so that he will worship me. But if you refuse to send him out, behold, I'm going to slay your firstborn son. This is obviously a, not a premonition, but a foreshadowing or foretelling, a foretelling of the tenth and final plague. The tenth and final plague, which will be the death of the firstborn, where Pharaoh's son, his firstborn son, does lose his life in that plague, famously. And Pharaoh still didn't relent until he realized that it's coming for him next because he was also a firstborn in his family. And then he said, okay, you can go. God, God tells Moses from the beginning, tell Pharaoh, they're my firstborn. You mess with them, I'm going to mess with your firstborn. Okay, this is the message. Let's continue. Now, so that's, that's it. That's the communication so far. Now, he was on the way, was Moses. Moses, his wife, and his two kids, and they were on donkeys. And they were in an inn. Yeah, they were in the, they were in the, I'm trying to think of a hotel chain. I can't even think of one now. Whatever. They were in an inn that the Lord, it was then that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Uh Uh-oh. God sends him on a mission. God instructs him what to do. And now God's trying to kill him. What's going on here? Actually, let's keep on reading and then we'll do Rashi. So now God, God wants to put him to death and who's him, we're not sure. So Tzipora took a sharp stone. That's his wife. Tzipora took a sharp stone and severed her son's foreskin. Uh, basically, she gave him a bris, like in the moment. I need something sharp, right? <laughs> Ever see these like uh, medical dramas, right? I need a, I need a ballpoint pen. Something like that, right? Okay, you, you use the tools that you had. She took a sharp stone, she severed her son's foreskin and cast it to his feet. And she said, for you are a bridegroom of blood to me. It sounds like a vampire series. You are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he released him. Then she said, a bridegroom of blood concerning the circumcision. Okay, now... These three verses are very peculiar, very strange, and require explanation. 
I, and we've done, these, we've done these verses before, last year when we studied it. Um, I would venture to say that many people have, no, don't, have never thought about or, or encountered this piece of the narrative. We know about the burning bush. We know about Moses and the plagues. But what is this business with the inn and the bris and death and a bridegroom of blood? What is happening here? So we turn to our trusty Rashi. Rashi will lead us in a way of success. Rashi explains, God sought Moses. God was after Moses. Even though God had told Moses, you're going to be the one, blah, blah. Why? Because he had neglected to circumcise his son, Eliezer. He failed to do the mitzvah of Brit Milah on his son, Eliezer. That was his younger son. Because he neglected it, he was to be punished with death. Now, you may be correct in thinking, if you're thinking, what, if you don't circumcise, then it's punishable by death? The answer is no, no. But in this case, for Moses, this was like, considered to be a very, a very uh, not good thing. Now, Rashi then continues. It was taught in a Brita. Brita is like uh, in the era, from the era of the Mishnah, but it didn't make the cut in the Mishnah, so it's in a separate source. Taught in a Brita, Rabbi Yossi said, God forbid, hold on, don't take the story literally. Moses did not neglect it. It's not like Moses is like, nah, we're not going to circumcise. No, no, no. Rather, he reasoned the following. Shall I circumcise him and go forth on the road? In other words, this, this child must have been born shortly before, shortly before um, he was told to go on the journey to Egypt and deliver the message to Pharaoh. So he says, I'm going to give him a bris and then hit the road. It's dangerous for the child for three days after the bris. you got to have a recovery period. I can't just put him on a donkey now and start traveling with this baby who just had a bris. It's not, it's not good. Shall I circumcise him and wait three days? He wasn't sure, so maybe I should. So what should I do? Should I give him a bris and then wait three days and only then head out to Egypt? Or should I head out to Egypt now and give him a bris once I arrive? Are you with me? So the Holy One, blessed be he, commanded me saying, go return to Egypt. So that was his thought process. God told me, God told me to go. So what? I should, I should bris my son. I'm using that as a verb. I should circumcise my son and then push off God's command for three days. God told me to go. So what, so what does Moses choose? Moses hurried to Egypt intending to circumcise Eliezer upon his return. Ah, upon his return. He was going to go to Egypt, do his thing, and then... So that was Mo so the, the so according to Rabbi Yossi, Moses has a justification, but that begs the question: Why then was he to be punished with death? So either one either side of the story doesn't make sense. So if we say that he did something wrong and that's why he was that's why God wanted to kill him, well then the question is: Well, why did Moses do that wrong thing? If we say, well, he wasn't so wrong because he had a good intention, well then the question is: well, why, why did God want to kill him? Right? It's e either way. The answer is because he first busied himself with the details of his lodging. Oh, he checked into the hotel. Aha. You see that? He was at an inn. Oh, maybe he was doing laps. Maybe he was in the, he was in the, he was in the, the weight room. Maybe he, you know, got some Wi-Fi. Yeah, he was watching some cable. Whatever it is, he was like involved with the lodging and God says, yeah, hold on. Are you running to Egypt and running back to do a bris or are you like, you know, you're lodging now? Hey, you said you can't wait because you got to go, but now you're, you're lodging. So what's going on? 
All of this is from Tratit Nidaram from the Talmud. Let's continue in Rashi. The angel turned into a sort of serpent, the angel of death, turned into a snake, and swallowed Moses from his head to his thighs, and then spit him out and swallowed him from his feet to his private parts. Okay? Tzipora therefore understood that it was because of the failure to perform the circumcision that this occurred. So the snakes fall, first swallows him from top down to that area, and then from bottom up also to that area. So she's like, <laughs> she's like, okay, hold on. This seems to be bris related. She's like, oh, so she, she's smart. So she takes the, the stone, the sharp stone, and casts it, as Rashi said, casts it before Moses' feet. And she said about her son, Rashi says, you are a bridegroom of blood to me, which means you are a cause that my bridegroom, my husband, would almost be murdered. You are to me the slayer of my bridegroom. Because of you, my son, you almost got my husband killed. Okay, it seems a little bit complicated now, right? So, but she's, okay, either way, this is, this is the, the dialogue. So, verse 26, let's read Rashi. He released, the angel released Moses. Then she understood that it was because of the circumcision that he had come to slay him. That was confirmation that it was indeed the, the, the circumcision issue. And she said, a bridegroom of blood concerning the circumcision, my bridegroom would have been murdered because of the circumcision. Okay, let's, all right, we got, we got this story. I think it makes sense. I mean, as much as this could make sense, it makes sense. I think we have at least some understanding of the story. And now we can get back inside the rest of the narrative. All right, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, so now as Moses, remember, Moses was living in Midian, married to Tzipporah, meets God at the burning bush, starts heading down to Egypt. The fiasco at the inn happens. Okay, we just read that. Meantime, his brother Aaron, his older brother Aaron, was living this whole time in Egypt, right? Presumably, he was living in Egypt this whole time. So now God has to tell Aaron what's going on because Aaron has not been looped into the conversation yet. I mean, based on the script, scripture. The Lord said to Aaron, go toward Moses to the desert. In other words, your brother is heading to meet you. Meet him. So Aaron went and met him on the Mount of God, on the Mount of God Haralakim, God's mountain, wherever that is, and he kissed him. The brothers embraced and kissed. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him. Moses fills Aaron in on everything. So it seems like God told him, meet your brother, and he'll let you know what's going on. And when they meet, Moses says, all right, you'll never believe what happened. And boom, explains the whole, the whole situation. So now, now they're a team. So Moses and Aaron went, and they assembled all the elders of the children of Israel. If you recall from yesterday, that was step one of the job is, first, before you go to Pharaoh, you got to get buy-in from, you got to preach to the choir, so to speak. You got to get, you got to rally your base. Gather the elders and give them the word of the redemption. And that's what they do. They now assemble all the elders of the people. And Aaron, because Aaron's the spokesperson, Aaron spoke all of the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he performed the signs before the eyes of the people. The snake, the, the hand turning white, whatever. And lo and behold, unlike what Moses had feared, the people believed. They believed. Look at that. And they heard that the Lord had remembered the children of Israel and that he saw their affliction. And they kneeled and prostrated themselves 
They bowed out of gratitude and acknowledgement and humility and, and whatever. They bowed down to acknowledge the, the, the salvation that was impending. Meanwhile, step two of the, of the mission commences. After Moses and Aaron speak to the elders and to the people, now they need to go to Pharaoh. That's step two, go to Pharaoh. Now, at this point, it's been told to Moses without any uncertainty, without any lack of clarity. It's been told to him explicitly. You're going to go to Pharaoh. Here's your script. He's going to say no. When Pharaoh says no, it will not be a surprise. They know this. So let's read the narrative. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, so said, the Lord of the, so said the Lord God of Israel, send out my people and let them sacrifice to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, they, they know it's coming. Who is the Lord that I should heed his voice to let Israel out? I do not know the Lord, neither will I let Israel out. Yeah, the Medrash says that he opened up his book of gods. If they had an official book, I don't know. I don't know who published it. But there was like a, a, a guide, a God guide. And he's like, I don't see Hashem here. Nope, I see the Nile River. I see cats. I see you know, whatever it is, sheep. I don't, oh, don't, see, uh, don't see Hashem. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So who is this Lord that I should listen to his voice? I do not know him. Neither will I let Israel out. Verse 3, and they said, Moses and Aaron said back, the God of the Hebrews has happened upon us. In other words, he's called us to action. I don't like happened upon us. I like call to action. Nikra could also mean call. I, I like that translation better. I'm giving you my own translation. Now, let us go on a three-day journey. Now, they remember God said to ask for three days? I, and the question is, did they mean to come back or they mean that it's three days away? I don't know. But let us go on a three-day journey in the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he strike us with a plague or with the sword. Lest he strike lest he strike us. This was a nice way of saying, lest he strike you with a plague or with a sword. You with me on this? They started off being a little respectful and uh, deferential to Pharaoh. They said, let us go because we don't want God to strike us with a plague or with a sword. Us, you, us. But the king of Egypt said to them, and they knew this was coming, why Moses and Aaron you disturb the people from their work. What, you want them to go on vacation? You want them to go away and, and, and sacrifice to their God in the desert? Why are you pulling them away from their work, from their burdens? Go to your own labors. And that's to, to them, just go back to your stuff. Not, not that Moses and Aaron were from the Levite family. They were not slaves. They had never been enslaved. When Pharaoh says, go to your own labors, he's not sending them back to work. He's saying, go back to whatever it is that you do on a daily basis. Like, go back to your day jobs. This whole Redeemer thing is just not going to happen. And Pharaoh said, continued to say, Behold, now the people of the land are many, and you are stopping them from their labors. I don't like what you're suggesting, says Pharaoh. You're trying to get them to stop the work? Absolutely not. The work, the show must go on. So listen to this. So on that day, as a result of the attempt of the message of Moses and Aaron, let my people go, because of that, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people 
and their officers saying the following. And listen to who he's telling. He's telling not only the Egyptian taskmasters, but also, I'm sorry, the taskmasters of the people. In other words, the Jewish taskmasters, he tells them. You shall not continue to give stubble to the people to make the bricks like yesterday and the day before yesterday. Let them go and gather stubble for themselves. In other words, we're going to make it, we're going to make the slavery, we're going to make the labor that much harder. Instead of us, the government, providing the raw materials for the work, for the buildings, for the, for the bricks, we're not going to even provide the materials. You're going to have to get your own materials and you're still going to have to build the same amount that you built when we gave you the materials. The quota remains the same, but the number of bricks they have been making yesterday and the day before yesterday, you shall impose upon them. He tells this to the Jewish taskmasters. These were the Jews who were beaten up if their fellow Jews did not meet the quotas, and now they had to do the impo- they, had, they had this horrible job of going to their brothers, going to their fellow Israelites and saying, this is, this is the, new, the new law. This is the new decree. You shall not reduce it. Tell them that you shall not reduce your output. Your output is going to be the same, must be the same, and although we're not going to give you the same resources before. Why? For they are lax. The reason why I'm coming down hard is because they are lazy. They are lazy. They are lax. Therefore, they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. This whole thing of wanting to get out and to sacrifice to God is because they have too much time in their hands. They have too much time to think about, you know, um, was it Maslow? Maslow, the hierarchy of needs. Yeah. So like when you're surviving, you don't have time to think about, you know, emotional or psychological well-being or higher things because you're just in survival mode. So Pharaoh's like, if you're thinking about your spiritual spirituality and all that stuff, clearly it means that you're not busy enough. Clearly it means that you're not in survival mode enough. So let me give you more survival mode. Let me make it harder for you to survive. And that you're, then you're going to stop thinking about anything higher. Right? You're lack, they are lax. Therefore they cry out saying, let us go sacrifice to our God. They have too much time in their hands. Clearly the work is not hard enough. The slavery is not severe enough. Let, he continues, let the labor fall heavy upon the men. Fall heavy. And let them work at it. And let them not talk about false matters. The harder they work, the less they're going to have time to worry about these babamises of worshiping God in the desert, etc. Now, the taskmasters have the impossible job of delivering the news to the people. So the taskmasters of the people and their officers came out and spoke to the people saying, so said Pharaoh, I am not giving you stubble. Stubble is the straw that they made the bricks with. I'm not giving you the raw materials anymore. You shall go, you go take for yourself stubble from wherever you find it. Now it's on you because nothing will be reduced from your work. You have to work hard to find this stubble, this, this straw, because we're not reducing the output. So the people scatter throughout the entire land of Egypt to gather a gleaning of stubble. And the taskmasters were pressing them, saying, finish your work, the requirement of each day and its day, just as when there was stubble. And by the way, just to clarify, I think I mentioned this before, but I'm going to clarify one more time. The Jewish taskmasters, there were officers, there were different layers, levels, but the Jews, they would get beat the worst. They would get beat the worst if the people, if the slave, if the Jewish slaves 
did not do what they needed to do. The Egyptians took it out, not on the, not on the slaves directly, I mean, I'm sure they did also, but in a, in a strong measure, they took it out on the Jewish officers that were overseeing it. Let's continue inside. Let's continue inside. And the officers of the children of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had, had appointed over them were beaten. Oh yeah, here we go. Yeah. The officers of the children of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters appointed over them, the, officer, the Jewish officers were beaten, saying, why have you not completed your quota to make bricks like the day before yesterday, neither, to, neither, neither yesterday nor today? They were held accountable. Why aren't you guys getting it done? We're taking it out on you. So the officers of the children of Israel, the Jewish officers, came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you do this to your servants? What are you doing to us? Stubble is not given to your servants. You're not giving us the materials. But they tell us, they still tell us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. We're we're getting beat up. And your people are sinning. You're putting us in a no-win situation. There's no way to, 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 to succeed here. There's no chance for success. You're not giving us the straw, the stubble. You're keeping the same quota. You're beating us up. Pharaoh said, but he said, you are lax. You are just lax. You're lazy. Nirpim atem nirpim. You're lazy. You're lazy. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice the Lord. You guys, don't, don't pretend like there's anything else other than you're lazy. And if you're so lazy that you have extra time in your hands, then go gather the straw. And now go and work, but you will not be given stubble. He doubles down on the, on the new decree. Nevertheless, the same number of bricks you must give. The officers of the children of Israel saw them in distress, saying, do not reduce the number of your bricks, the requirement of each day in its day. This distressed the officers, the Jewish officers, and of course the Jewish the Jewish people, and now, and now these officers confront Moses and Aaron. They, the officers, met Moses and Aaron standing before them when they came out from Pharaoh's presence. So they met with Pharaoh to try to get this new decree rescinded. We can't do it. It's not possible. Pharaoh says, I don't care. Get it done. They come out, as they come out, they see Moses and Aaron standing there. And they said to them, the officers said to Moses and Aaron, may the Lord look upon you and judge. That's a way of saying God's going to come down on you hard. Why? Why? They're upset at Moses and Aaron. For you have brought us into foul odor in the eyes of Pharaoh. To mix a metaphor, right? Foul odor in the eyes of Pharaoh. We are now an even worse enemy to Pharaoh. He hates us even more. And in the eyes of his servants. To place a sword into their hands to kill us. You have placed a sword into their hands to kill us. You're, You're literally giving them grounds to destroy us. Because you asked, you said to them, let my people go. He's now doubling down, and we're paying the price. You guys are, are standing around. You guys are not slaves. You guys are cool. We're paying the price because of you. 
Now Moses takes this to heart. It really shakes him. And he's like, yeah, they're right. Ever since I uh, came down to try to make things better, they've now gotten worse. So listen to this. So Moses returned to the Lord, which is very cool. I think this is the first time he goes to God to speak to God. I think every other time God initiates the conversation. I could be wrong. I mean, it's only been this last few readings. We could look it up. You know, you can look it up on your own. I don't believe Moses initiates a conversation up until this point. But now Moses says, I'm calling a meeting. And he said, Oh Lord, why have you harmed this people? Why have you sent me? Lama Hareosa la'am hazeh, why have you done wrong to this people? And why have you sent me? Since I have come to Pharaoh to speak in your name, ever since, he has harmed his people and you have not saved your people. It's only gotten worse. Redemption and salvation is nowhere to be found. What have you done? What have you sent us to do? Why did you send us? Why did you meet me? Why did you call me? Why did you send me? Why did you give me the message to deliver? Why? And God says, at the cl- this beautiful cliffhanger of a verse, God and the Lord said to Moses, you got questions? Hold on for the ride. Now you will see. At the Sirah. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a mighty hand he will send them out. And with a mighty hand he will drive them out of his land. You're going to see how this works. And this is going to work out. Don't, don't panic. I've given the example before. Right? You're behind the wheel. And God jumps into the car next to you. And God says, can I drive? He says, sure. After all, don't those bumper stickers say that God is my pilot or something? All right. So God is, God is behind the wheel. And God starts speeding and driving like a New York cab driver. Yeah? Like back in the day. Not like today when everything is, you know. But like... And you're like, and you're holding on for dear life. The question is, do you trust do you trust in God? Do you trust God behind the wheel or not? Yeah? I've had the experience, and I think I've shared this in this, con- in this exact context. I've had the experience of, getting, of being the passenger to my son driving for the first time. <laughs> a little, little, little gripping going on over there. <laughs> Just a little, you, know, you want to give the space, but you also you know, you want the car and yourself, you want everyone to be, and innocent pedestrians to be okay. I'm, I'm not, this is in no way, um, you know, I'm not literally being serious here, but... Yeah, I mean, there is an apprehension because you're, you're not in control. The question is, when God's in control, can you, let, can, you, can you remain calm even when things look like it's out of control? When God's behind the wheel, can you let go and just trust that it's going to be good? And that's what God says to Moses. He says, Moses, you're panicking. Moses, Moses, hold on. You're saying, what have you done? You sent me and it's gotten worse? Moses, take a deep breath. Take it easy. Have a cookie, right? I'm paraphrasing. Moses, calm down. You're going to see. You're going to see it. Oh, it's about to happen. Ooh, just hold on for the ride. It's about. Now you're going to see. At the tear. And now you're going to see. How with a great and mighty hand, Pharaoh said. That doesn't mean the Pharaoh's mighty hand. It means that with force, he's going to send them out and drive them out of his land. This is going to be good. 
Moses, instead of panicking, if you don't mind, put up the popcorn. Put up a fresh batch of popcorn because the show is about to start. And that's how the Torah portion ends. An incredible cliffhanger, an incredible like lead in to the 10 plagues, which start next week. And it's just like, it's just delicious. By the way, speaking of which, I mean, for us, yeah, for the Egyptians, it's terrible. But eh, listen, this is our side of the story. Um, just as an aside, I mentioned popcorn. For those of you joining us Saturday night, we got one of those, um, I don't know, carnival popcorn. Like, yeah. yeah, the legit, yes, with the thing, with the thing, the full, you know, legit machine, big machine. Man, we're going to have fresh, like, uber fresh popcorn Saturday night. I, I, this is, I haven't mentioned this to anybody. We got the Chinese dinner. We got the movie. And we have, fret, we have some soda and other beverages. We have fresh, fresh, fresh popcorn being popped Saturday night. All right, my friends, have a wonderful show. I know we didn't do Haftarah. I, I, I knew we were, I, I kind of knew we weren't gonna, it wasn't going to happen this week. You know, we'll, we try, but this, this Torah portion is just, I don't know. It's just like out of control, amazing, with, and rich with stuff. So what, what's the message? Let's just end with one. I know we did a lot of stuff today. Let's end with one message. Sometimes when we're careening out of control, not sometimes, when life seems like it's careening out of control, Let's ask ourselves the question, can we calm ourselves down remembering that God is behind the wheel? That's the, that's the avoda, that's the task. Ah, oh, who do I have here? Who do I have here if not for Riva? Perfect timing, saying hi. Riva, say hi. Riva, how old are you going to be in two, less than two weeks? Six. How old are you going to be in less than, in less than two weeks? Less. Less. Yeah, it's not two weeks. It's less than two weeks now. So in, in a week? Like a week and a half. How old are you going to be, though? Six. That's right. Six. Big girl. What is that? What is six in Hebrew? Uh, sheish. Sheish. Or shisha. Sheish, shisha. Sheish. What? Sheish. There you go. Thank you, Ray. I'm all yeah. Sheish. You're going to be sheish. Woohoo! All right. Well, Reva's excited, as you can clearly see. You know what's going to happen for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? Cake? I don't know. I'm going to be back in school. Huh? You'll be back in school. Yeah, you can celebrate with your friends. Okay. All right. We'll see you all. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Rabbi, can I just mention one? I sent you a text yesterday. I don't know if you saw it go by. I did not. No, I missed it. Okay, Okay, I'll double check. All right. Good, good, good. All right. I get hugs. I'm a lucky guy. Okay, we'll see you guys. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. And we'll see you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye, Ray. Bye, Donna. Bye, Sarah. We'll see you. Take care, everybody. Pleasure, pleasure. Yes, Mazel Tov, Ray. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right, we'll see everybody soon. Take care. Wait, what's his right hand?